0: Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Last year, at the beginning of last year, that's 2017, Pastor James said to the church, This is a year of traction. It was a prophetic word for the year of 2017. And through the year, we saw more and more traction, more and more um, get up and go, more and more engagement of the things of God. That year went quickly. And towards the end of the year, about December, James said to the leadership and to the church, 2018, there are two words, not one word, but there's two words. And those words were rising tide, rising tide, and it was like a prophetic voice over the church. There is a rising tide. Well, you know what happened. If you turn the news on early December, our country was hit with a super moon. Well, it wasn't hit by the super moon, but it was hit by the effects of the super moon and the rising tide. We had storms, and we saw deluges. That are, this is the North Shore here, and the motorway, which is never flooded, was just awash. The first time they've had to shut the northern motorway down. And, and it happened out at Moraita as well. Next slide, Sue. So, um, you'll see there's just this, this catchment of water went beyond the realms, beyond the boundary where it was before. And it's like James prophesied this rising tide. Hopefully the insurance companies don't blame it on James. But the thing is, there's a rising tide of the things of God within our nation and in the nations of the world. There's a whole new set of expectations. There's a whole new sense of urgency. There's a whole new influx of the God stuff. You know, this is out at Maraidai there. Um, this, it wasn't just in January. It happened also in February. Like There was a second deluge. And then even last week, if you look at the news down in Kaikoura and in Nelson, these guys were getting another hit, a double whammy or a triple whammy. First in the natural, then in the supernatural. This is 2018. For our church, we're going to see a rising tide. Well, you know what happened? This is 2018 AD. 2018 BC, there was a chap called Abraham. He was uh, married to a girl called Sarah or Sarai. And God turned up and he had an encounter with him. And he said, man, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you more than you can ever, ever comprehend. I'm going to bless you and your household. And you're going to multiply. And it's going to be extreme. And I will bless those who, who you bless. And, and this thing would be beyond yourself. Um, there's going to be me working in and through you to bless all that you, you touch, you encounter. Um, what an amazing blessing. That was 2018 B.C. We are living in our 2018 AD. And I just sense in the spirit, there's a fresh emergence of the God factor happening in and through the church, through empowered people, that's you and me, not just through the leaders of the church, it's actually through the whole congregation. There's a whole realigning of what the church is going on. Well, Abraham had this encounter with God and he started to see all these dreams and he got more and more promises and it was like, it was all good it was all exciting and then he said come on Abe let's go for a walk together and he went into the promised land and he said all that you see I'm going to give you and it's not just going to be for you it's going to be for your descendants and for their children and their children it's going to be like play it forward and as you go and see he said, It's like lift your eyes higher can you see further can you see broader all out there what you can see it's yours go and get it he said don't get tunnel vision Broaden your vision. Um, Get a broad vision, eh? And that's what happened. And I just sense as a church, with a a rising tide, we need to lift our vision higher and further and broader. As a church, it's easy just to go in the cruise. But I think that God is going to start to challenge us, give us each specific encounters where we can claim more in God and go and do more in God and respond. Well, the landscape of the church is changing, not just within this church or the Church of New Zealand, but the Church of the world. There's a rapid change taking place. Next slide you'll see up there. We've got all these beached boats. Boats don't generally go too well on the mudflats. They need this buoyancy to lift them up so they can actually go and do what they're doing. And I think what's happened, the tide has gone out in the church and we haven't got this buoyancy to take us where we need to go. But this tide is coming in, and we're seeing this lift going on. There's an elevation of what is going on. On the right-hand side, you see these buoyant battleships. Buoyant battleships are obviously deployed to the the war zones of the world. And the church is a little bit like that. We aren't designed as uh, passenger liners. The church should be like the cruisers and, the, and the, the frigates and the destroyers and the, the battleships to go off and do what they're doing. But, you know, this year um, we've got a lot ahead of us and we're getting more and more passenger liners turn up in our country, this is good for tourism. Um, but that's really what not the church is about, cruise liners. It's about something else. It's about these battleships being deployed. For what it is, the New Zealand nation has a navy. I think we've got four frigates. Um, So you can call it a Navy and a whole lot of patrol boats. But the sad thing is, not all those frigates are getting used. Half of them are actually tied up. Two of them are tied up to Devonport Naval Base going nowhere because they've got no crew to actually crew them. What a sad indictment that our Navy hasn't got the resources or manpower to go and do what needs to be done. But when we look at the church, sadly, we've got all these churches But somehow the crew and the boats really aren't there to manpower or enable the church to do what it potentially could do. And I just sense the rising tide, the change is happening, and we're getting this realigning going on. You know, a lot of people come to church, which is good. And um, there's a term which they use in church growth called church members. And so what is a church member? Someone who comes to church, obviously. uh, He connects with the church, which is really cool. Um, And even they use this term active church members. And what they define an active church member is someone who comes to church, semi-regular or regular, and they also give a bit of money. But I think an active member like that is a little bit like an oxymoron. Just because you come to church occasionally and give a bit of money doesn't make you an active member. And I think there's a sense of urgency and compulsion that's rising up in this new day to get up, Go somewhere and do something. Do you realise God's name? Two thirds of it is actually go. Think about it. God, G O D. Two thirds of God's name is go, and two thirds of God's name is do. And there's a sense of wake-up call that's coming into the church. And I just sense that you know we've got these walkers, we've got these canoes that um, are starting to um, get crew in to actually do a task, and and we've got these uh, warriors to grab their canoe they're getting in the water they're picking up their paddle and there's a synchronization going on and there's not just one there's there's a whole bunch of them coming together and we're finding there's a there's a rallying of the church coming together all these walkers are coming together but you know when you see a picture like this you see everyone picking up a oar you see them paddling up picking up their paddle and they're all getting stuck in they're not just sitting there going oh this is a nice trip you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a voice that says, come on guys, do this together. And there's a, there's a beat that comes, there's a pulse that comes and these guys are picking up their oar and there's a synchronisation. I was in Fokitania um, a number of years ago and I was asked to do some stuff with an eldership. And as soon as I walked into the eldership, God gave me a vision of this canoe. And all these guys were sitting in the canoe and they're picking up, or some of them were picking up their oars and some of them were paddling and the other guys were just daydreaming. And it's like, well, why is there only a couple of people picking up their oars? And then there was a sense of, oh, we can do this together. And they were starting to paddle. But because there was no synchronization, people were getting stuck in their back. some were getting stuck in the neck, some were getting stuck in the eye, because there was no together paddling. And I just sense that there's a new command coming in the spirit where there's this, this synergy, this, this coming together is really important. And it's just not one person sitting in a canoe doing it by himself. You know, there's a rallying coming together. And so if Samu come here, um, I just need you. So if we were in the canoe together and you can sit here and I'm paddling on one side of the boat um, and Samu's paddling on the other side of the boat, but you know what would happen? Not because Samu was much larger than me, more muscular than me, what would happen? The canoe would start to bias and go off in Samu's direction. Not because he's more anointed, but because he's a bigger guy than me. The weight he has is going to naturally take the boat to one bias. And so we have to have a balance in the boat where, um, as the crew comes in, there's a sense of um, balancing the boat so we actually can do the job together without the effort. It becomes much easier. And we're finding that people are picking up the oars. And imagine having a a canoe or a walker like this, and we've got three or four people that decided to sit in the other direction and pick up their oar and start to paddle in the other direction. What amazing conflict would happen, you know? And quite often in churches, we see this. We've got a, a, a vision. We're all going this way, guys. And all of a sudden, we've got two or three people decide to do something else, and they go off in a different direction. But I sense there's a new sense of, hey, this is the vision, guys. Let's do it. Let's rally. Let's get stuck behind um, um, the vision. Let's go for it. Um, and there's a command that starts to kick in. You know, We're sitting in a canoe, not just going for a cruise. We've got an oar. We all need to um, pull the oar and get, get stuck in. The interesting thing is, I grew up on the water. The water harbour, Kiwi. My dad took me fishing. That was good. And then he introduced me to sailing when I was around about six or seven years of age. And I just loved sailing. I was in the water pretty much um, every week, summer and winter. And, and as I grew up, my children, they got the addiction from me. And, and they would go off in the boat with me. And um, it was fun. We enjoyed it. Um, sometimes when the storms was going on, when Chris would come, she didn't particularly enjoy it. She just wanted to go home. Um, but the thing is, our kids grew up. In the boat, I grew up in the boat, and it was enjoying um, what was on our doorstep, what was right in front of us, and it was fun. You know that that was great. But in my heart, on the water, doing amazing, you know, trips, and we were racing and doing all sorts of things. It was fun. I just knew there was something more, much, much more than what I had. And I had a school teacher that said, "Hey, how about coming to church with me?" And I didn't really want to do that because I'd seen the the confusion of what the church had. It was like double standards, and I didn't really want to buy into that. But still deep in in my heart, there was like something about the church that I need to respond to. I didn't know what it was, but I just sensed it was God was calling me somehow. And I had this sensitive teacher say, come to church with me. He picked me up at West Haven one Sunday evening, and I went to church in the town hall. I didn't have shoes on, left them at home. I think I had stubbies in those days, and tank tops, tank top. and I was wet because someone had pushed me in the water before. And we turned up at church, and the whole town hall was just full of people adoring Jesus. And I just realized there's more, much, much more than I'd already had. You know, I want that. And I was looking up in the mezzanine floor, and all these people were lifting their hands, and they they had like more than a twinkle in their eye. Their face just radiated something. It's like, bring it on. And for the next six weeks, I went to church. I didn't I couldn't say much and I'm an extrovert and for me not to say much is unusual but I'm just going to church and I'm sitting down and going whoa whoa I couldn't take it all in because I knew there was more of God and we were seeing uh, um, a surge of the God factor Um, we were getting 30, 40, 50 people saved most Sundays salvation we were seeing all sorts of healing going on and it was just exciting we were seeing um Worship, like they released things like Prepare You The Way, Scripture and Song. All these New Zealand songs were starting to express themselves to the church here in New Zealand. And it was like another, whoa, wow, whoa, whoa. And then there was a release of mission going on. And I just realised there was more in God. But I just sensed that God's saying, hey, the rising, the rising tide, things lifting to a new level. Bring it on. And I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with what we've had in the church up until now. God's spoken about more, but I haven't seen much more really take place. But there's more and more happening. Last year, more and more traction going on. And, and I saw uh, more deliverances, more occult stuff, all that sort of dealing with that um, high heavy duty aspect of ministry last year than any other year combined. And when you're praying for people, I've seen more people get healed last year than probably any other year combined. One guy who I mentioned, well, I got called into Waitakere Hospital. This guy had less than two hours to live. They said maybe two hours at, two days at the, at the outer limit, but two hours. And so I prayed for him. Something happened in his body, so they kicked him out of the hospital two days later and sent him home. This guy is still alive and breathing and wriggling. And I'm saying, come on, man, you've got to come to church. God's healed you. He's done something sovereign in your body for a reason. Your life hasn't ended yet. It's still going on. And he said, You know, I can't be bothered. And I'm thinking, God, You've got to stand before God one day, you dope, you know, and give an account for your life, and you've been literally resur- not resurrected, but next to resurrected from your bed, you know. But we've got people in our churches that are just breathing. Like um, some of them are actually on a life support system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, God says to my church, get off the life support system. I've given the pneuma, the breath of the Holy Spirit. You should be breathing me in and out and doing some stuff. Not just attending church, but being church, doing church. We've got a world that's dying and going to hell because the church is not somehow taking the gospel beyond the four walls. And we're getting more and more opportunities to do that. And even Pastor James, his testimony with some of the things last year is absolutely amazing. But let's not just let this rest on James and Viv's life. Let it go beyond that. You know, let's take our journey and our joy to the world. People don't care about the faith we have. They're caring about the hope with us, that, that is within us. We've got to give what we've got and get it out. Billy Graham died this week. 99 years. I was going to say not out, but 99 years. But God's done something through that man's ministry. He gave his breath. He gave his all to the church for a reason. New level, new heights. There's a strange guy up here. Actually, go back to Freddie up the mast, if you got it there, Sue. Um, That's it. What's Freddie doing up there? We went for a sale at Christmas, and uh, we had a few jobs to be done. But before we got to where we needed to go, we had to get there. And so Freddie knew what it was to hear a voice. Pull that rope. Pull it tighter. Pull it tighter. It was called a jib sheet. Pull the halyard. Well, the halyards had to go up the mast to bring the sails up before we could pull the sheets in. And so Freddie was doing what was asked of him. And then I said, Freddie, we've got a problem. And he said, what's the problem? And I said, well, the light at the top of the mast has blown. Um, It's a long way up there. I'm a lot older than you. How about it, mate? And so he was keen. You know, he he stripped off all his clothes, or some of his clothes. (laughs) And we put him in a bosun's chair. His uh, dad and his father-in-law was there, and we, and we pulled him up the mast. And he was sitting right at the top of the mast, taking the bulb, you know, the, the cap off and changing the bulb. But the thing is, in a church, and ministry, there's always gonna be another job to get done. There's another task that needs to, that needs a bit of a requirement to do. We need to take a risk and step out. Whenever I've stepped out and gone for a risk, that's when the miracles start to take place. That's when all the supernatural signs and wonders and transaction in God really starts to happen. When we're playing it safe, things happen. But when we step out, taking a risk, it really does happen. There's a realigning going on in the church, and you'll see now this present uh, this next slide. So you'll see this um, pleasure liner. Uh, you know, they're designed for a purpose. That's cool. We had one come into. Um, to New Zealand last week and I caught the tail end of the news and the captain was being interviewed and they said, well, how many people are on this boat? And he said, oh, we've got 700 uh, passengers, but we've also got 400 crew, 700 passengers, 400 crew. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of people. Why are only 400 people on the boat doing something? The other people are just sitting there, just going for a cruise. Well, obviously they're paying for that, but the church isn't a passenger liner, It's a warship. How many passengers are on a naval vessel? Any? No, they've all got a task. They could be in radar, they could be doing all sorts of things, navigation, uh, radio, all sorts of things. They've all got a task to perform and a task to do. And we're starting to sense a new rallying where we wanna be able to giving the right task to the right people. So the church can actually engage itself more streamlined, more effective, more power punching, uh, more impact for the world. We've got roles to play. Haven't got to the Bible yet, so I'll, I'll get there right now. So if you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, the first, the first um, chapter. And just before we get into that, I'll give you a, a little bit of a, a reason why we're doing this. Luke was looking at the church, and he wanted to create... A clear, concise assessment of what was going on in the church, and so he wrote not just Luke, but the Book of Acts, and so it was like one work divided into two subworks. And so the first phase, the Book of Luke, it was centered on the the life of Jesus Christ, the servant of God, the suffering servant of God, and. It was a full work, and they couldn't put it on the scroll because it wasn't a book. It was actually all written on a scroll, uh, a scroll parchment. The second phase was actually about the book of Acts, and that was about the emergence of the church and um, the servants in the church going off and doing what God told them to do. And so we pick up in the very first uh, verses of Luke 1 verse 3. It says, many people have set, set out to, to write the accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They, they used eyewitness reports that circula- uh, circulated among us from the early disciples. Now, when we read that, we see among the early disciples. We get things lost in translation. So, the Bible as we know it was not written in Latin, it wasn't written in Hebrew, it was actually written in Greek. And so, the word disciple there isn't actually disciple as in learner. The whole word was basically uh, a word called um, herpacteries, her, something like that. I don't know how it's, they, do, they do that. But two particular words there, okay? And so what that actually meant was actually under oarsmen. And so it was talking about a servant in a boat picking up an oar and doing something with it. And so they were under rowers, they were all sitting in the boat, with their oar, paddling, doing something, doing something. They were disciples, but they were all in the boat, all going somewhere, with an oar in their hand, they were paddling, 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 paddling. There was a consistency, they didn't do three or four paddles and uh, put their oar away and have a, have a nap. They were paddling, paddling, paddling. And there was a sense of traction through the church, through the establishment of the gospel and into the New Testament church. And so we see this term under rowers being used. And so we read the Bible now in translation, we see the word disciples, but it's more correctly described as under rowers or ministers. And so we see this um, engagement happening. So in the Roman times, they had these boats. Uh, Often there were at least two decks. Um, They're called bimarines. And so we had all these um, rowers on one level we had the second level, bi-marines, bi-meaning two, and they all paddled in synchronisation together. Some of them were bigger, they had three levels, tri-marines, or quad or uh, qu- uh, qu- 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 quin-marines, which was basically a five-level boat. And these were the vessels going off and extending the Roman Empire, reaching into the world. And so what we see here is that the term um, "hupo" means under, etres is rower. And so it's broken down into two, two words here. It would have been very easy for Luke, as a writer, to use another word. He could have put the word bond slave in there. It would have been very easy to do it, but we lose this in translation. And so the, the word that uh, was called bond slave was doulei, which basically means bond slave. He didn't do that. And what's actually happening in the church now, the waves of the world are sort of infusing into the church. So the worldly system is somehow trying to get into the church. And so we've got all these bond slaves in the church. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. There's a whole sense of control. No freedom. When I read my Bible, Jesus said he came to set us free. Not to put us into bondage or subjugation, but to set us free. And what we're seeing with the realigning of the church, all these people that have gone to church and they've been given tasks and they've been locked up in... And all this religious gunk, there's this freeing up taking place. There's a greater mobility, there's a greater flexibility, there's a greater pow- empowerment taking place. And so we're seeing this surge going on. It's not a safe place in church at all, but neither, neither were the Roman galleries uh, where the galleys where they used to uh, paddle. As a Roman citizen, in a boat, it was seen as a noble profession to actually get into the boat and paddle the oars. You know, it wasn't seen as a second class thing, it was a noble thing to do. And and when they used to do it, they were defending and guarding their nation. That's what they were doing. That only occasionally would they recruit a slave and put them on the paddles. Because they would slow things down, they, they would sort of try and disaffect what was going on. It was only in the Middle Ages which they actually released people to that role where they chained people in. Paul the Apostle, when he went to Corinth, there's all this problem in the church going on. And what they used to do is they used to drag the... Um, next slide there, you'll see these... Uh, picture, keep going. you see this. Go forward. Next. A picture of Corinth. So when Paul turns up at Corinth, um, you'll see that Corinth was an isthmus. And what they used to do is they used to paddle around the Mediterranean. And it was far easier to actually drag the boats across a small isthmus of about two and a half, three um, kilometres and reload and go off on the journey. And the reason why it was better, because it was safer. Um, There was less storms there, there was less pirates, and they could actually get on with their business. And so when Paul was actually writing to the Corinthian church, he was using this exact same terminology about under rowers. He said, in Corinthians 4.1, he said, look, Apollos and I uh, are mere servants of Christ. Uh, We've been put in charge of explaining the mysteries of God to you. And so That was their task as apostles to explain what was going on. They were servants, but the term used was the same thing. We are under rowers. And so they were sitting in the church, pulling their oars together. They weren't lording it over people. They were undergirding and lifting up the people. And that's part of what the church is doing now. Um, This church is an apostolic church. And we are sent once, we're envoys, we're ambassadors, we're messengers, we're restoring people, but we're also under rowers, it's you know, um, part of who we are. James' primary gift is that of an apostle. Um, when I do my surveys, I'm always classified as an apostle as well. We've got that grace on our life. And they say that's with a capital A, but because these ministries are in the church, this becomes an apostolic church because of the DNA. It's probably more like little a, but we are all the same giftedness. There's a sense of we're all envoys. You know, there's a grace in our life and all the apostolic giftings. We're ambassadors. We're sent ones. Uh, We're all under doing this together. And we're seeing a realigning going on the church where if we look at the corporate world, we're seeing this. um, Next slide, you'll see it come up um, there. You'll see... The, the management structure of a church, you know, of the church of of the world, where you get corporations, where you get the CEO and you get the, the head honchos, and it all trickles down through management to the factory floor. That's the tr- traditional way of a world um, system, and a lot of churches have that structure in place as well. But God is saying that is absolutely rubbish. That's not the way my church was designed. We've got to turn this thing on its head. And what you're seeing here is the, is the boss and the leadership is down low. And we're serving. We're releasing. We're holding up the church to go and do what it needs to do. And it's one of not holding in, but empowering and releasing and deploying what's going on. And so this is part of the reforma- reformation of the church globally. The church is designed for purpose and empowerment. And we've got to pick up our, our wars and do something with it. It's for a purpose. It's for a plan. We're living in an exciting age. We really are. And we've really got to... Um, We've really got to um, close the meeting. We've really got to um, understand we're here for one reason, and that's to win the, win the lost. That's what the church is for. You know? We've got to have a reality check. We can't just come to church and be consumers. We've got to be the church. There's a, there's a world out there crying out for an answer of hope, of deliverance. The thing is, you can come to church and not get saved. You know, We've got a walker going one direction. And the thing is, if you're not saved, you need to get into the boat. That's the first thing you really need to do. You know, you can be in the, in the river and you could be drowning. You need to get in the boat for safety. This church is on a course and this church is following Jesus. Ultimately, this walk is gonna to get to heaven. It's about eternity, not just the short temporal life we're living now, it's about eternity. And if you've never given your heart to the Lord, you've never given your heart to Him in any way, or you have, and you jumped out of the boat, maybe today is the day where you want to get back into the boat. Give your heart to the Lord. So you're going to know an eternal day-to-day encounter with Jesus Christ. Your eternity is set. You won't be going in another direction, down the river, to a place called hell, which will be total separation from God. You've got to be in the boat, my friend. You've got to be on the right course. Maybe you're in the river, just drowning. You've come to church for many, many weeks, and you've been assessing what's been going in the church, but you've never ever given your heart to the Lord. Maybe today is the day where you're going to think. Reality check. Hey, I've got to get back into the boat. That's one challenge for you guys, and I think really for most of us, and most of us here probably have given our heart to the Lord, this is going to be my pitch to you. We're in the boat. Maybe we could paddle a bit harder. A bit longer. Maybe you see someone paddling and they are struggling. Maybe you can come alongside them, start to paddle with them. Take your oar off them for a while. Give them some time out. Because in the Roman galleys, when someone started to fatigue someone else, even the captain would get the oar and he would paddle. He would paddle. And people would have a bit of a breather and they get stuck in again. And I don't know about you, but I just think there's going to be fresh challenges for you to do something you know, Faith and Owen, they become interns. There was a challenge to them last year. Hey, how about picking up this ore? And they could have thought, nah, I want to go and make some money. It's a good idea, better than picking up any ore. A price to be paid, but Jesus sees that. Now, I don't know what God's gonna ask you to do this year. I really don't. But I just sense that there's a sense of urgency taking place in the spirit, it really is. So this morning, we could just shut our eyes, please.